Spirit of grace for leading us so capably. As I mentioned, today is a, a special day in the life of Grace Church where we have uh, a man with us who has come all the way from Holland, Michigan, go Holland, yay, to share with us today. What can be said about John Paul J.P. Sundararajan? J.P. was born in Bangalore, India, and grew up there finding Jesus through the faith of his parents something rather unusual for a country whose dominant religion is Hindu. J.P. came to the United States to study and later graduated from Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa, my alma mater. During his time in Iowa, J.P. was introduced to squirrels and thought they were monkeys. J.P. has been a friend of Grace Church for more years than I can remember, having formerly worked with and represented another one of our mission causes, Audio Scriptures. J.P. was instrumental in developing a Bible app for unreached peoples to use in which they could hear the Bible in their own language. J.P. now lives in Holland, Michigan, along with his wife, Katie, and their two kids, Leela and Reuben. J.P. was appointed Director of Global Mission for the Reformed Church in America on October 1 of 2018. J.P. is an ordained minister in the Reformed Church in America and also completed a Doctor of Ministry program in May of 2022. He comes to us all the way from Holland to share of God's moving through mission all around the world and in particular through the RCA's mission program. J.P. possesses a tremendous heart for God and for the church of Jesus worldwide, a sharp intellect, perfect teeth, a good sense of humor, and a rich history of mission experience. And after all these years, I'm still not sure I am pronouncing his last name correctly. He told me this morning, in order to put his whole name on the marquee, we needed a bigger sign out in front of the church, right? A lot of, I don't think we have enough A's and R's to do that. Family and friends of Grace Church, I introduce to you the man with the perfect smile, the Reverend Dr. J.P. Sundararajan. Let us give him a warm Grace Church welcome. Well, thank you. That is a very generous introduction, Pastor Dave. And I'll also just say this. I've had my name pronounced so many ways, I'm not sure I'm saying it correctly anymore. Um, and speaking of which, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, maybe like a month ago, my wife was out of town for some meetings, and I have two kids. So Layla is in high school, and my son Ruben is in middle school, and it's like a single parent thing. You're like, you want to do this right. And so it was like, I, after, I got them ready for church and everything, and afterwards I was like, all right, let's go out for lunch. And getting a middle schooler and a high schooler siblings to agree on where to go is a challenge, but we figured it out. Let's go to Culver's. Nice. We drove, and of course, you go to Culver's, you know, they have this big menu on the back, and you don't know where. It's like a scroll, like you begin there, and the beginning, and, the, and you're standing there, and you're trying to look, and then there's this kid with this funny hat who looks at me. He's like, can I help you? And I was like, oh, it's time to go, and, and I don't know if they're all ready, but we went there, and miracle of miracles, we were ready. We ordered our food, and I was feeling pretty good about myself, and the guy says, does that complete your order? And I was like, yeah, that completes my order. And he goes, what name should I put it under? And I was like, I was like being nice. I said, JP. And he said, 
and I'm not joking, he said this to me, how do you spell that? <laughs> Friends, it's, it's so good to be here. I think uh, Chuck in the back told me that the last time I was here, my hair was a little darker. And uh, it's true. It's just wisdom, okay? A lot of wisdom has been accumulated. But I am so thrilled. I mean, God has... Um, I loved being a missionary, um, serving on the front lines, and I think the last time I was here, I said, I know, getting in the trenches and getting my fingernails dirty for the sake of the gospel and then bringing those stories back to God's church and remind them that God is not done working around the world and God's not done working around here uh, was always an amazing, and I always feel that's the highest call you can have. And so about five years ago when our general secretary, Eddie, called me and he said, JP, I'm looking for a new director of global mission for the Reformed Church. Um, it's a position that has been kind of a bit of a revolving door, and so every time it would come up, somebody would be like, you should, you should apply for this, and I'd be like, thank you, but no thank you. This just seems like a task that is way too big, and I'm way too small for this, and I had rejected uh, the opportunity many, many times, and finally in 2018, it was God just saying, it's time for you to say yes, and so I stepped into this role um, really uh, fully aware that it is not because I'm awesome, it's because... I'm available, and I said yes to God's call. I, I feel like that kid with five loaves and two fish, and I'm like, I don't know how you're going to use this, God, but this is what I have, and God said, that'll do. And so, and God brought me into this amazing um, institution, which I am so thrilled that Grace is going to be partnering with us going forward. Friends, you are entering a partnership with one of the finest mission agencies in the world, not only to mention that, we are also the oldest Protestant mission agency in North America. Um, there are so many stories about our missionaries that have gone forth from the Reformed Church for hundreds of years that are not just missionaries going on. They have gone and changed the world for the sake of Jesus, and that is not just an expression. That is literally what happened. Today, I will share a couple of those stories with you um, in my sermon, but um, I have the privilege of traveling to all these places. I was in Japan in December, and I visited the school. The first school for girls in all of Japan was started by one of our RCA missionaries. And I heard about the first Protestant ever baptized in, in Japan through an RCA missionary. You think about the first doctors going to some of these places, the first teachers, the first pastors, the first church. There are so many P.O. boxes with the number one uh, around the world that are connected to RCA mission sites. We were the first real uh, people bringing the gospel in both word and deed. And that legacy, it's 370 some years old, but I said, I'm not interested in just basking on the reflected glories of the past. God has done this amazing thing and has given us this tremendous legacy. So what does mission in the 21st century look like? And there are some amazing things happening around the world, which I don't have time to share uh, during the sermon this morning, but I've feel free to talk to Pastor Dave. I'm going to be hanging around for lunch. If you want to join us, I'll be able to tell you more stories. The stuff that you'll hear, it's not just the 300 years of history, but it's also the most innovative things you'll ever, you've probably never heard of. So that's all happening, and you get to be a part of it. So thank you. Um, I'll reserve my comments because I don't have much time. <laughs> so friends, as we begin to look into God's word this morning, can I invite you to pray with me? Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing, our Creator, Rock, and Redeemer. Amen. So the passage I've chosen for today is probably the most famous passage in all of Scripture, or at least one of the most famous stories in the entire world. And I'm going to read a little excerpt for you from Genesis chapter 6. 
The Pew Bible is in the New International Version, so if you want to follow along, great. I'm going to be reading from a different version, so there might be some words that are a little different, but, but listen to the word of the Lord for us found in Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and the creeping things and the birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah, Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end. I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its, its width, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and put the door of the ark on its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For my part, I'm going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every kind shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every kind of food that is eaten and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, this is a small excerpt of a very familiar story. So I'm going to invite you today or sometime this week to take a look at Noah's story. It is a fascinating story about a fascinating character. And like I said, this may be one of the most well-known stories found for us in all of Scripture, right? From our kids here to kids around the world, people know about Noah's story. And so I was just thinking about this as I was studying this text. I was like, all my life I've heard this story, all my life. And not once did I ever bother to ask myself, well, why are they calling it an, an ark? It's really a boat. Because later on, remember, there's the Ark of the Covenant, and I was like a kid, like so excited because there's another boat story, and no, no, that's just a box. And so, and then there's like all of these questions I had, like, if you study the story of Noah's Ark, you're like, is this a universal flood or is this a kind of a local thing? And then around the world, every country that's ancient has some sort of a flood narrative, some sort of a flood account. So the question was like, how do they corroborate each other? Are they in agreement? Are they... And so there are all of these speculations and questions that would make for an amazing conversation someday, just not in the next few minutes. All right, so now, regardless of where you 
you know, you want to study this text and how deep you want to go into it, there are a couple of things we cannot ignore. We cannot overlook the facts of God's judgment and God's grace that are so powerfully evident in this story. But neither should we overlook the remarkable life of the central character, right? Noah. The writer in the book of Hebrews says, you know, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. I mean, this, is, this chapter in Hebrews is the Hall of Fame chapter for all of our heroes of the faith, and Noah is there. Noah's faith, Noah's faith began way before the flood, right? And it's also remarkable, if you actually studied the book of the story of Noah, you'll see the flood account probably is about a year-long thing. Not once will you see God speaking to Noah during that entire time. Because Noah just trusted God through thick and thin, whether he could see and understand or not. It also says here, like, Noah was righteous before God. You know what that also means, right? probably irritating somebody else if that's the case. And so there's one commentator who said, it's, it's, it's a beautiful sunny day outside. The same sun can melt wax but harden clay. The properties of the sun don't change, but the properties upon which the sun's light falls, those properties are revealed by the sun's heat, right? So whether it's the sun shining the seed landing, the word being preached, the glowing testimony of a believer, that same rule applies. If I were to do an unofficial poll of like, how many of you here would rather be the fragrance of Christ or the aroma of death? I think I know what the answer will be. But yes, exactly. But unfortunately, unfortunately, we're not free to choose that because that will be determined by the reaction of others to what we say and do, right? So by building this ark, Noah offers salvation to anybody who responds in faith. And so those who entered this ark, this must have been the most amazing blessing and delight. But those who refused it, this must have been the most awful statement of loss and dismay as the ark disappeared into the mist. Jesus himself in, in Matthew's gospel would say, you know, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Life was going on, even though this strange old man was building this massive boat with nowhere to sail it. And eventually, the righteous judgment of the offended Lord falls. But in the midst of that horror, Salem man and his family, secure in the serenity of a faith which releases the resources of God's grace. So, RCA Global Mission today has about 100 missionaries and partners serving in about 50 countries. And so, being in the role I'm in right now, I want to try a hypothesis with you. I believe that Noah was the first missionary in human history. And so I wonder, as <laughs> somebody who serves the RCA this way, what would it be like if I got Noah's resume for mission service come to my desk. And again, if you read scripture this week and read Noah's story, you'll discover that Noah's first words in scripture are not found anywhere here that we read. You have to find his words 
later on in Genesis chapter 9. And his first words are really, cursed be Canaan. Noah is cursing his son. That's how he begins his narrative in Scripture. Because after surviving this unbelievable story of universal destruction, Noah essentially becomes a gardener. He plants a vineyard, gets drunk from that, and lays naked in shame when he's discovered by his son. And when he's discovered by his son, instead of remorse or anything, Noah goes on to curse him. This is, this is a terrible way for one of our Hall of Fame faith leaders to wrap up his story. And yet, isn't that in a strange way kind of appropriate? That the people that God chooses all through Scripture and in our life are people just like us, broken, covered in shame, angry, saddling the next generation with our baggage and forgetful of God's providence. There's something profoundly beautiful and telling about God's agency and movement in this world in spite of our human failings. And that's what I want to draw your attention to this morning. So we had Noah's story. I want to offer three reflections for you today. The first reflection is this that God's divinely ordained work for us is still hard work. Now, I know your church has been very faithfully supporting the work of Audio Scripture Ministries all over the world. In India in particular, um, my family runs this ministry, and it has been tremendous. My dad began this ministry in India because he felt 60% of India is non-literate. So if you give them a Bible, they would not know. I, I tell you, go read Noah's story. But if I were to do that in India, most people would not know what to do with that statement because they don't know how to read and write. And so we decided, my dad decided, he wanted to give the Bible in a form that they could access. And so we began with people who are non-literate. Then it expanded into people that belong to oral communities that even if they could read, they preferred listening to it. And that's not just oral communities in India, but there are oral communities even here in the U.S. who you know people would rather listen to an audiobook than read it. And then it began to grow. Then we heard of this huge community of people who had visual impairments. The largest population of the blind live in India. And I did not know that the Bible is inaccessible to them because a lot of them go blind later in life. And the Braille Bible, which is available, is like 40 volumes thick. And most people can't afford it or have room to store it. But then the, another group that kind of entered into this conversation were people who could not access the Bible because of social stigmas. The social stigma would either prevent them from learning to read and write or sitting next to somebody who could read scripture to them. And these people, I may have talked to you about them last time I was here, are people with leprosy. And um, we started getting a lot of requests from communities where people with leprosy gather and saying, we just need to hear messages of peace and comfort. And so we've been working with these communities and I'll just be honest, since we began working in these communities, they are not a mission field for us. They have become our family. We have gotten to know them and love them, and we have this tremendous partnership. And my family in India in particular knows them by name. They spend holidays together. They love them. There's one particular community my brother told me about. Uh, it's a community called Tokampati, and they have gone there a few times to give Bibles, and they've done repeated trips to this community to offer discipleship, you know, and my dad would preach, and for them, it was just nourishment for their hearts, and they loved my family. My family loved them, and one day when they were done, and they would go and replace audio Bibles that were broken and things like that, and one day they were done with all of them. They were just sitting around in the courtyard of this village, uh, this community where the people are all gathered, and my brother looked at them, and he said, is there anything else you need? And uh, this 
they looked at him and very kind of quietly said in Tamil, which is one of the languages my family speaks, they said, which translated means there's no water. My brother's like, well, there's a, I saw a well on the way in. What do you mean there's no water? And they're like, that well, we, don't, we can't access that. Because if you, if you drink water from that well, that well will be considered polluted. And so the villagers will not let us go there. So how do you get your water? Well, people with leprosy are also not employed by businesses because, again, they believe it's a curse that they'll absorb or they, they get polluted or whatever reason. So the way they make any money is by begging. So they collect the few rupees they, they have. They pull it together and they give the city that money to have the city send a truck with water. Again, it's very inhospitable because the city will come with the truck, but the truck driver and all those people, again, don't want to associate with people with leprosy. So they'll come and park the truck and they'll open the, the faucet and the water shoots out of the truck. And so our friends in Thunkampati will have to go now gather the water with whatever vessels they have, right? Plastic pitchers and everything. And so I saw this video of them just, they're, they're trying to catch as much water as they can in these, in these plastic uh, containers, but they also don't have fingers. So can you imagine like, how complicated this process is? They can barely walk. A lot of them are also visually impaired, and they're trying to catch as much water, and then they kind of wobble back to their little huts. And my brother told me they, they cannot, every drop of water is precious, so they save it. So they'll think of any use you have the water, they collect whatever water gets spilled, and they use that water again, and they use that water again. So by the end of the day, they've used the same water between three to five times. And he showed me one video of the water at the end of the day. It was just this thick, dark, gross, viscous fluid. But that's, that's, what, that's their lot. And they said, Tanila. So my brother called, he's like, does the RCA have um, any sort of ways in which we could help maybe dig a well for them? And I was like, we do. We have something called a care network where we provide these sorts of services for communities that really need it. But I said, well, is there water there? <laughs> And so they consulted a local hydrologist who went, did a study of the place, and he came back and said, 600 feet below the surface of Tokampati, there's water. And this is huge news for people of Tokampati. They were so excited. We had some funds. We transferred it to our ministry, and they said, July 30, 2019. I'd just been in my job a few months, and this was a big day. They were going to have water for the first time. And no matter where you go in the world, people have dignity and beauty. And that day... All the residents of Tokampati wore their finest saris and finest clothing. They all gathered because today they were going to have water. And I remember the Instagram and Facebook feeds began to populate itself in the morning. They're getting updates every day. And I see that all of them gathered there. And then the truck shows up. And the first drill, as it pierces the soil, you can feel the excitement through the, just the pictures, the smiles that just seem like frozen on their faces. They go 50 feet, you know, 100 feet, and it's constantly, the updates keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. At about 300 feet, you can begin to be like, the updates seem a little slow. And I'm, I'm just reading it virtually. I'm in the U.S. at this point. At 500 feet, definitely, the smiles are not there. There's no water yet. 600 feet, no water. 700, 800. At 900 feet, the soil that's coming up now is kind of wet with the promise that there might be water. So there, okay, there's a little spark. But then at 1,200 feet, the, the deepest point that Borwell company could go that day, they hit this point, and my brother said, there's a sound, like, and just hit a puff of dust. And the last post on that day was this picture of these beautiful sisters and brothers of mine standing, still wearing their fine clothes, but, but kind of like 
holding the namaste, the prayer pose that you see most Indians doing, but you see they're missing their fingers, and you just see the sadness on their faces, just wishing against hope that something could come. And that was the last photo that day on Instagram, and my brother had a quote on the bottom. He said, you know, we went 1,200 feet today. We didn't find any water. We just got dust. So we don't know why God let this happen, but to God be the glory. And again, that was like a good statement for Instagram maybe, but you, I knew there was pain behind that. So I called my brother up, and he was just weeping. And he said, you should have been there. It was so hard to stand there with those people and watch. I just wanted to give them water. It was hard. That's how the day ended. And, and I, you know, we did not fully understand it back then. But back then, all we were asked to do was to stand with our brothers and sisters there and let that dust of disappointment coat us, coat our every pore. My family and I continue to have those conversations day after day, and we sense that there's something profound that was emerging from the pain of witnessing a puff of dust when you long for a fountain of water. Because all we wanted to do was provide water for these beautiful people, a cup of water, a straight-up cliche from the Bible. And yet we observe that even our most hopeful expectations, it still perpetuates this age-old story of the rich coming to help those who don't have anything. Don't get me wrong. Providing water that day would have been the most amazing thing we could have done. But I truly believe something greater was happening that day. When we stood with people who had no hope and watched together, disappointment sweep over all of us. Because that's the reality of every resident in Tokampati. This is how it's always been. One disappointment after the other. And what we felt on that historic day, July 30, 2019, was a taste of what every day was like for these dear brothers and sisters. And we stood with them that day in their moment of pain, and we felt that crushing cloud of disappointment envelop us like that dust cloud that hovered over that pit of useless hope. And you could do nothing but stand shoulder to shoulder with the least of these. God's divinely ordained work is still hard work. To understand God it's imperative that due consideration be given not only to God's righteous indignation, but also to God's grace. The heart of God overflows constantly with loving kindness and tender mercies to his children. And I keep thinking, like this whole, the, the whole world, as God himself describes it, the whole world was wicked. Wouldn't it be easier to just destroy it all and start from scratch? I mean, just a few chapters ago, we just see the creation account. Why do you have to deal with a 600-year-old guy who only wants to plant a vineyard to get drunk eventually? This old guy now has to build a boat. He has to collect the animals, float around for a year, and have a less-than-stellar finish. Is this worth it? And God would say, oh, yeah, it's absolutely worth it. And this would prove itself over and over again through all of Scripture. It's from God leading his stubborn people who complain constantly into the promised land, Right? Then they get to the promised land and they were like, well, we don't need God, we want a king. And the kings that they get are mostly terrible. And yet God loves them and woos them back to himself. And the ultimate fruit of God's labors comes in the form of his own son who enters this world as a humble baby, collects a ragtag team of nobodies, and then dies a brutal death for a sake of people who didn't know him then 
and many who still don't know him now. Is it worth it? Wouldn't it be better to just trash it all and start from scratch? And sometimes when all you want is to provide a cold cup of water to the least of these and the ground does nothing but yield dust upon dust, we are called to stand coated in that glitter of dust in a world that waits to be disappoint, disappointed yet again, to squint into it and watch God do what God does. And it's also encouraging, friends, to remember that God always has his witnesses and that no time in human history have things gotten so dark that not a ray of light shone for God. There has always been a Noah. And in this season, could that be us? The second observation I want to share with you today is that, speaking of Noah, right, God's agency and movement in this world, it involves ordinary people. God's choice in human beings makes me very queasy and uncomfortable. Because most of the people that God we see choosing through Scripture are odd people. They're kind of like the lesser people, the people I would not have chosen if their resume came on my desk. They come broken, and within God's providence, they learn to choose better and to work within God's will for blessing so many. A simple glance at Jesus' disciples tell you that, right? I mean, that's a complete, not a who, it's the opposite of a who's who list. But it's true. We see that when God chooses Jacob over Esau, Isaac over Ishmael, Joseph over Reuben, David over Eliab, Mary over Martha, and the list goes on and on. The creative initiative that always belongs to God, the willing obedience, that belonged to Noah. Grace flowed from the heart of God. Faith appropriated it into the heart of Noah. And the eternal purposes of God go on toward their relentless conclusion. Another way of putting this is it's the story of calling. Now, if you haven't caught on already, I like telling stories. <laughs> and so all my life, when I was like a kid, I was a shy kid, if you can believe it. And my, you know, my dad was a preacher, and my mom was like, someday maybe I'll, I was like, I will never be a preacher. Just give me a book. I'll put it in the corner. And I made a deal with God. I was like, God, if you ever want me to speak, can I just tell stories? And God was like, oh, good, go do that. My son did that. So today, I'm going to tell you one of my favorite stories. Since I took this role with the Reformed Church, um, I feel like I've gotten keys to the candy store in terms of stories. And this is one of my favorites. So this story begins in, in a country that some of you may not have heard of. It's a country called Bahrain. Bahrain is in the Middle East. It's an island between Saudi Arabia and Iran. So if you understand peace in the Middle East, this becomes a very strategic location. Bahrain is politically a very key ally for the United States. So the fifth fleet of the US Navy is permanently docked there. They have very strong diplomatic ties with the royal family in Bahrain. But the story actually begins before this. So 120 some years ago, one of the RCA missionaries, a guy named Samuel Zwemer, was called to be the first missionary from the Reformed Church to the Middle East. And uh, you know, after a lot of complications, he finally ended up in Bahrain. And the way it works is you just don't go and start doing mission work in these places. Um, anything you want to do, you do through the right channels. And one of the things you do is you win the favor of the king. And he wanted to build a school to educate people, especially the women of Bahrain, and a hospital. There were so many medical needs that they just didn't have any. And so he showed up at the king's court, met with the king, and said to the king, Your Majesty, I am seeking land 
so I can build a school to educate your people and a hospital to treat those in need. Now, King listens to this impassioned plea and dismisses Zwemer from the court and then has a consultation with the rest of the court, the king's court. And the royal court, smart, wise people, they said to him, Your Majesty, whatever you do, do not give that man land because he is a Christian. He is here to convert our people. So whatever you do, do not give him the land. And the king listened to them. That's a very wise counsel from his people. So the king said, That's, that sounds good. No argument there. And he goes to bed. And that night, the king had a dream. God showed up in the king's dream and said to him, whatever you do tomorrow, treat that man with favor who was in your court today, because through him I will bless your land. So the king got up the next morning and against the wishes of the entire court, gave Samuel Zwemer land, upon which Zwemer would go on to establish the American Mission Hospital, the Al-Rajah School, and the National Evangelical Church, all three institutions thriving today in that island nation. Zwemer showed up at the King's Court just a few years before oil was discovered in the Middle East, and Bahrain was just one of those huge countries with oil reserves. So Bahrain exploded into global prominence and as everybody flocked to it, the royal family never forgot. They associate their prosperity to, God, to them treating the missionary with favor, one of our own missionaries. So whenever, the, like right now, sitting U.S. presidents, you know, any of our diplomatic ambassadors or foreign secretaries show up and they have audience with the king, they often talk about how grateful the U.S. is for their partnership in Bahrain, and they are constantly reminded by the Muslim king we are grateful for the United States, but make no mistake about it. We are grateful for the missionaries you sent. This is also a story that you will not find written anywhere because this was, this was a story shared to me by our RCA missionary who is the chief medical officer of the, of the American Mission Hospital in Bahrain. You know who told him this story? The crown prince of Bahrain. This is a story that the royal family passes on generationally as a reminder that whoever sits on the throne not forget where they got the prosperity their nation you know, enjoys today. God went on ahead of Zwemer, right? I mean, God moves in miraculous ways. Zwemer's job was only to show up and ask the king for what he needed. Now, I cannot imagine the kind of courage it takes to do something like that, but it's the sort of courage we see Noah exhibiting in the story too, right? Just build a boat, and he's like, all right, I'm going to build a boat. And in both of these stories, God shows up in miraculous ways. Noah wasn't asked to save the world. Noah was asked to be faithful. Zwemer wasn't asked to save the Middle East. Zwemer was asked to be faithful. Which brings me to the third observation from Noah's story. The first one was, of course, I said, God's divinely ordained work is hard work. God's agency in this world involves ordinary human beings. And the third part, that the story of God is grander than you and I can ever imagine. We are just ordinary people called for extraordinary things. But if you think of all of life as some sort of a, a play you get to watch, this play unfolds with interruptions that initially dash our hopes, right? But even so, these puffs of dust that we see, they're not too much for the gospel's inbreaking. It is here that God invites us not to be spectators, but participants in this play, to squint into that swirling dust and watch God breathe new life into it. Perhaps from all of this, God can bring forth water that springs up with eternal life. I've often heard, like, 
So Zwemer went to the Middle East 120 years ago. So what? Well, that partnership has continued and continued. The three, three institutions that I mentioned are the thriving institutions in the, in the island nation of Bahrain. The American Mission Hospital itself has exploded. Now they have five mission hospitals, and I know what you're thinking, what a mission hospital probably looks like. And I wanna share a picture. I'm gonna have Michelle put up that picture of, this is the, I was in Bahrain in January. That is the newest American mission hospital. And this is just one little piece of it. This is a huge facility. They use robots to go up and down different stairs to deliver things to rooms. The royal family uses it. This is an $80 million project funded by the king himself, insisting that first of all, it have the name American Mission Hospital in it. So this is the King Hamad American Mission Hospital. I think it's like a Muslim king and American Mission Hospital together. Um, Bahrain is the only country that lets you display a cross on the outside of the building in the Middle East. Um, and um, the only condition that the king had when building this hospital as he worked with, with RCA Global Mission was that there will be a chapel in the middle of it that'll be funded by RCA Global Mission and staffed by an RCA chaplain. That is the only thing, so, the, so we built the chapel first. In fact, the chapel at Western Seminary, the architects of that chapel designed the chapel for this and the hospital is built around it. The other story I wanna share with you is a few months after our infamous well dig in India, my brother was in a railway station in Bangalore and you know, railway stations in India, they're often like, it's, it, a lot of beggars are there. And so one of the beggars walks by and he recognizes her as his friend from Tokampati. So he saw her and he's like, hey, and he went and he gave her this big hug and again expressed his own sadness at what could not happen on July 30. And she told him, she said, brother, don't be sad. Every day, all of us gather on that hole in the ground and we pray, we pray for you. You came and stood with us, brother. You experienced what it's like, it'll be okay. And I keep thinking about that exchange and I'm like, man, here is my brother who leads this amazing ministry in India and yet his pastor that day was this lady with leprosy from Tokampati. She was providing him pastoral care and comfort. And my brother goes back and we wait and, and I get like, you know, India is always, it's tropical, so there's a monsoon season that ravages the plains of South India, but then he gets a call and it's somebody from Tokampati and they said, brother, um, we think there might be water here, but we won't open it up till you come back. So my brother went with the team back to stand with the people, the least of these. And, and that moment, I actually do have a video clip off. It's only 30 seconds long, and I wanna show it to you. You're doing good, Michelle. It's okay, take your time. I'm not in any rush. There it is.
Isn't that beautiful? And people said, is that rope 1,200 feet long? Like, no, they found water at 50 feet. <laughs> Most of our stories, I know I speak from the RCA Global Mission perspective, they always begin with pain and disappointment, or like these puffs of dust. And yet, we have to remember it's from puffs of dust that God breathed new life into Adam, right? And into a world, friends, that is ravaged by war and pestilence. Indeed, from these puffs of dust, there emerges pockets of grace. And so we find ourselves today coated in a layer of dust, and we're invited to squint into that dust and watch God breathe new life into a parched land and make these pockets of grace arise. So yeah, I'm grateful that even though God's divinely ordained work is hard work, I'm, gr I'm grateful that God's agency in this world involves ordinary people. But most of all, I'm so grateful that the story of God is much grander than you and I can ever imagine. And that is good news. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for stories of people like Noah who are not perfect and yet are available to serve you. I thank you for stories of Samuel Zwamer and people around the world today who um, toil for you and for the sake of your gospel. I look at the pews in front of me with other people that you've also called to an incredible task, a task you so easily can do, and yet you invite us to participate in this grand story. So help us in the midst of these puffs of dust to long for those pockets of grace. May we be part of the redemptive work you are doing in this world. I thank you for the privilege we have of serving together in this broken world so in desperately in need of you. In Jesus' name, amen. JP, thank you so very much for sharing with us. Um, rich in stories. I love stories, and thank you so much for that. And maybe we all learned something today. Uh, and uh, we just appreciate your coming uh, again. And uh, so, by the way, um, uh, those who want to, we're all invited over to the Pizza Ranch. Uh, Rick said he'd buy for everybody. So, oh no, I guess not. Uh, but anyway, we're going to meet at the Pizza Ranch at 12, 15, 12.30ish. So anybody who wants to, we're going to meet there with JP. And if you want to uh, talk to him more or just have some good pizza and good food and fellowship, feel free to, to join us there. So thank you. Would you please rise? My oldest. Is it? Yes. Awesome. Happy belated birthday. Thank